this morning we're going to be in Psalm 139, if you'll turn there with me. And this will be the last uh, series or, or sermon in this series that we've done the last few weeks on the book of Psalms. And, and Psalm 30, 139 is one of my favorite psalms in all of the scripture. And it tells us about one of the greatest truths that we all need to know. And it's this simple truth that there is no escape from God. Now let me say that again. You need to understand because from the very beginning when man sinned, he was hoping that there was an escape from God. He was hoping that there was a place he could go where God wouldn't see and God wouldn't know. But there is a truth that matters to us and that is no matter where we go, we cannot escape from God. But like fugitives, guess what we do? We like to run. We like to hide. But ultimately, we cannot hide from the God who penetrates the darkness of our lives with His light. If you think that you're managing to dodge Him in this life, I want you to know today that one day you're going to stand before God. What you may perceive as his presence not being in your life, which you may perceive as you've gotten away from His presence and He can't see you and He doesn't know you and He doesn't understand and He doesn't know your thoughts and your words, or one day that you're not even going to be accountable to Him, I'm telling you the day is coming where all of us are going to understand that we can't escape the judgment of God. Happily, I want you to know today that while there's no place to hide, once we give up our flight, and once we give up this fugitive way of living, we find that there is a hound of heaven who has been running after us, and we discover that his intention all along has not been to harm us, but his intention has been to bless us. You see, that's what Psalm 139 is going to tell us this morning. As we get into this psalm, I want to read it as we're going through rather than reading it all together and having to take the time to reread it as we get to it and to those points because of the length of this psalm. But let me begin there in verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you have known me, and you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. We serve a God church. This is another important truth today. Let these words sink into your soul. We serve a God that at one point in life, and what we have to understand about him is he is completely intimate. This God that you say, I cannot see, this God that you, 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 you ask the question, who is he and what is he like? I want you to know the greatest question is we, we want to know, can we have a relationship with him? And the answer has always been yes. God knows us and God wants to be known. God is intimate. We can have a personal, intimate, day-by-day, moment relationship with God, even though he is completely infinite. 
See, that's the dichotomy of our God. Intimate, yet infinite. If we try to dive into who is our God, you realize that it is a pool with, with no bottom. That no matter how deep you dive, there is still so much more to know that when we consider who he is, in so many ways, we are scratching the surface because we are trying to look as finite beings at this infinite being who tells us to come to him. That he wants to know us, that he loves us, that he's concerned for us. And when we grasp this truth about God being both intimate and infinite, it drives us to our first point today, which is in the song. This is a frightening point in and of itself, and yet it's comforting. I'm telling you, there's a lot of dichotomy today. Because what if I told you that God knows every single thing about you and about me? You see, on one side, that's disconcerting. On one side, we like to believe that there are things about our life that nobody knows, those things that we would call skeletons in the closet, those things that we said that we're ashamed of, those things that we've done that we're ashamed of. And when we think to ourselves, the reason we want to hide from God is because we think if he knows me, if he truly knows me, I mean, could you imagine if your spouse truly knew every thought that you had? Let that sink in a second. If every thought you had, your spouse immediately knew. If every word before it was ever formed, they knew what you were going to say. It's disconcerting, isn't it? I watched an episode of, I think, I can't remember, it was one of the doctor shows that was on television, and this poor guy, he had something wrong with him that no matter what he thought he said, could you imagine how many relationships would sustain and last through that? And yet, you know what we know about God? It says that he literally knows everything about us. When he says, oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. In verse 2, you know. That, that is an emphatic personal pronoun that it may as well say you. Yes, you Lord or you alone know everything about me. And when it says and goes on in verse 3 and says that he scrutinizes our path, it literally means to winnow or to sift. It means that he is examining your life in such a way that he can literally tell that which is wheat and that which is chaff. He knows it all. He sees it all. How much does God know? Well, look at what the text tells us. It says that he knows everywhere that we go. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up. Think about the implications of that for our life. There's never a place that you go that God isn't watching you. If we would live in that reality, it would change everything about the way that we live. That he knows where we go when we rise up, whatever path that it is that we take. Literally, it goes as far as to say, not only does he know where I go, but he knows what I think.
You understand my thoughts from afar, it says. He knows what I do. He says, you're scrutinizing God and my path. See, many times we want to believe that God is just this, this power that exists that's up there that just sustains and with all the things going on in the world could this God who is infinite this God who is all-powerful this God who is is so vastly different than me does he actually see me does he actually know me does he actually even care you know what this text tells us you know what it screams to us that literally he watches you and scrutinizes every path that you take And what that is saying, anytime you see in the scripture where it talks about the path that you're walking or the way that you're walking, literally, he's saying he sees the habits. He sees what makes up each day of your life. He knows what I'll do. He knows what I will say before I ever say it. Verse 4, he says, Behold, O Lord, you know how much. How much does it say at the end of verse 4 that he knows? He says, you know it all. And you see, the reality is I have trouble loving myself, knowing all that I know about myself. There are so many parts of me that I try to hide. I don't think there's a person in this room that would want their thoughts exposed, the words exposed that you're thinking about before They actually come out, you know, that valve that hopefully you have that shuts it off before it gets there. That means whether or not we say it, God knows it. When we're questioning him, when we're struggling in our faith, when we are doubting, when we're angry, when we're overwhelmed. No matter how much you try to come to church and put on a mask and put on a face, you know what the reality is? With God, there is no ability for you to do that. He sees you stripped down just as you are. And you know what the miraculous thing is? He still loves you. Let that sink in a second. That, I mean, can you see why the psalmist goes on in verse 6 says such knowledge is too wonderful for me he said i can't even attain to it i mean what he's literally saying i mean think about what he's saying he's saying if i were you i couldn't do what you're doing i couldn't love like that i couldn't be patient like that if i knew everything about everybody do you know how much trouble i would have existing in this world if i just simply just take one thing if i thought or understood what you were thinking about me right now, I'd probably want to crawl into the pulpit. Because some of you are like, man, I love Aaron Wallace. Some of you are like, man, I wish he'd hurt. Right? There, There are so many. If we knew what he knows, we would freeze. We would absolutely be unable 
to walk and to relate to people, yet God knows and He loves. And the psalmist says, to think that you know me like that. I love that he says, it's wonderful. Because if we think about it, we would probably want to substitute there. That could be awful. That could be discouraging. That, that could be overwhelming. We could put so many adjectives in there. But you know what the psalmist says? He recognizes the love of God, the, 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 the loving kindness of God, the patience of God, all that makes God God. And knowing that God loves them. With, if you just took the history of Israel and you know everything that had gone on and everything that they had done while God had been faithful, they had been so faithless, and yet God remains faithful to them and pours blessing into them. And he says, look at the grace of God because ultimately that's what the psalmist is recognizing is that the grace of God is so great even though he knows me he treats me as if I'm somebody else completely different he gives me what I don't deserve he loves the unlovable he touches the untouchable Secondly, not only does God know every single thing about me, but this underlying truth about God. Because really, when we say that he knows everything, this is just pointing to God's omnipotence. Omnipotence simply means that God is all, or I'm, I'm sorry, omniscience means that he is all-knowing. Omniscience, all-knowing. And then he gets down to the second thing, and he says that God is always with me. That's God's omnipresence. The psalmist isn't fearing God's presence. In fact, what we find with the psalmist is that he finds comfort in knowing that God knows everything about him, and yet he is with him and wants to walk with him wherever it is that he goes. When you keep reading into verse 7, listen to what it says. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, then guess what? You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the most remote part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be as night, even the darkness isn't dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. why God asks, why are you running? What do you think you're doing when you're hiding? It's why it must at times seem so contradictory to the Lord when he tells us, he tells us as his children, if you will confess your sin, don't hide it, don't bury it, don't ignore it, don't think that because of your sin I suddenly hate you. And I'm unwilling to deal with you as if I'm not patient and kind and gentle and, and, and gracious and merciful. And yes, he disciplines, but even in the discipline, what does he say? I do it because I love you. And the psalmist is saying, I find great comfort because I can't outrun this God who loves me. Wow. Go up, go down, he's there, right? Left, right, he's there. I, I love the way he puts it. He goes on and literally says, 
when he said, when, uh, if you look down and, and take a peek at verse 9, if I take the wings of the dawn, literally, you know what that means? The wings of the dawn are when he looks and he realizes that the sun begins to come out and out of the darkness comes light. And he is saying, if I could travel at the speed of the dawn, at the speed of light, guess what? I can't outrun you. I can't get away. I love it says that we can't hide, first of all, from his spirit. Aren't you glad for the penetrating work of the spirit of God, the convicting work of the spirit of God, that no matter where you are, whether you can see him physically or not, you know, especially believers, this is Old Testament. What about us as New Testament believers, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? We can't go anywhere. I mean, literally, when you want to say, where is God? The ultimate obvious answer, if you're a child of God, is what? He's closer than a brother. He, he's as, I mean, listen, if you say, oh man, I wish God was with me the way so-and-so is with me. No, no, so-and-so has nothing on God. God is in you, dwelling, tabernacling with you, in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And listen, when you need grace, the Spirit is dispensing it in your life. When you need power, the Spirit is, is putting it into your life. When you need words, the Spirit of God is putting it into your life. And when you need God, think about it. He says, even if you need God at the moment, you have to stand and give an account. If you were standing before a king having to give an account of your faith, he says, you know what? Don't worry on that day. Why? Because I'm right there with you. And in that moment, guess what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to give you every word that you need to say. That's an amazing truth. Good luck getting away from God, believer, when his spirit is in you. He says we can't flee from his presence. I love what it says. We can't escape his hand. Folks, that's, that's great news. He says that not only as I'm trying to, I mean, I, mean, I always think about Jonah when I read these verses. Jonah did his best to get away from God, to run from God, to hide from God. And no matter where he ran, guess what? God was right there. And he wasn't content with leaving Jonah alone. As far as Jonah tried to run, the hound of heaven chased him down and ultimately had him thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish. And guess what? God led Jonah as it was by the what? By the hand. Aren't you glad that God finishes what he starts? Aren't you glad that this journey of sanctification has much more to do with him than it does to you? And don't think that you don't play a part, but don't think you can thwart God's plan for your life either. His will for your life. Don't think for a second that he doesn't care and he's just going to absolutely not care for his children and not reach out to you and not discipline you. If you need to go in the belly of a well to get where you need to go, then God says, cool, we can do that. I'll lead you with my hand. I'll get you where you need to go. It doesn't matter if you're in the belly of a fish, God's there. It doesn't matter if you're in the midst of a fiery furnace, God's there. It doesn't matter that you're on the absolute last breath of your life. 
and the greatest enemy is coming for you, death, God is there. And you know what he says? I've got it. God can safely lead us to the other shore, can he? He says, your right hand will lay hold of me. can't escape his hand and we can't escape his sight you can't hide from him I, I love the fact because honestly it's the darkest moments where we wonder where God is and that's what's frustrating for us because nothing terrifies us more than darkness because darkness means I can't see a foot in front of me if you've ever been in utter darkness right I and mean, we think darkness sometimes the other day the power went out, but there was enough light around that literally I could st still kind of see. You know what I mean? It wasn't like pitch black. Now, I've been in places where literally I'm doing this and I can't see my hand. To me, that's, that's utterly terrifying because it means I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going. I don't know the dangers that are in front of me. Actually, one day me and Melanie almost lost our life playing, and this seems really stupid, and it was funny because it wasn't really darkness, but we were in Jamaica one time and we were basically on this mountainside and all of a sudden this cloud came up and it hit the side of the mountain and raced up the mountain and then flowed over to this plateau where where the place was that we were staying and literally and it wasn't darkness but it, it we couldn't see i mean if you did that you couldn't see your hand it was the strangest thing we thought it would be smart to get out a wiffle football thing that goes right we thought this would be cool let's throw it we were out there throwing that thing, and literally, when the clouds dispersed and we could see again, we were literally that close to the edge of a thousand-foot cliff and had no idea how close we'd gotten to the edge. And see, most of us, that's what we hate about not being able to see. We can't see our future. We can't see our circumstances rightly. There are so many times in our life that we sit back and we say, it is so dark. I am so overwhelmed. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. And you know what God is saying? I know you think you're lost, but I'm right beside you. And I know that you can't see around the corner, but I can see around the corner. What he's saying is, no matter how dark it is, God says, to me, guess what it is? It's light. Whatever you think is the most ununderstandable thing in your life that you can imagine. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands. Nobody can see how to get out of this mess. We serve a God who does impossible things, and he's up there going, you know what? You don't see the way out. I see the way out. You don't see how you're going to survive, but I totally see how you're going to survive. And you know what it does? It begs us to trust this God. who is always near us. He's always with me. Thirdly, God made me and has plans for me. Let me go over the, are, are the things up there? They're not, are they? Number one, God knows every single thing about me. Number two, God is always with me. Number three, God made me and has plans for me. Look what this text says. This is really beautiful. It says, for you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought 
in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. There's a lot of beauty in this section of the text. Because you know what it screams to us? I'm not an accident. Every person that God created, he created with intention, with purpose, with design. You say, well, what if I'm blind? Isn't that a mistake? You know what God says? It's not a mistake at all. I purposed this. I planned this. I intend to use this. I don't care what it is that you think about yourself Let me tell you something. God made you beautiful the way he wants you to be. This text screams it to us. There's no room left for I just evolved into what I am by chance. The text doesn't offer you that. It screams the complete opposite of that. I was created and designed with a purpose. It literally says, I am woven together by God. Well, no wonder God knows me so well. He carefully and purposefully made me. He says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Literally, that translation is, I am fearfully wonderful. Do you ever wake up and take a good look in the mirror and tell yourself, No doubt about it, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Is that how you view yourself? That this awesome God of power and might who loves me and saw me even before I was born, knew my name even before I was born, he made me, he knit me together. I mean, have you ever knitted? It takes time to knit. It's not something that you do without thought. It's not something that happens by accident. It is with complete intention. And and really, like any other art, it is something that you are making in order to display, right? It's meant to be beautiful. And it serves a purpose. And that is the words that he's trying to use to describe why he created you. Maybe when you think about the kind of person you are, words come into your head like average. Not too bad. Maybe you see yourself as a little above average. But there are days when a closer look reveals our insecurities and our flaws that we can't ignore. And folks, I'm here to tell you today, if you consider yourself unremarkable or even ordinary, you're not seeing yourself as the result of God's divine creation. And when we discover that truth, it's overwhelming. It's why we take the stand that we take on abortion. Folks, abortion is taking the life of a child. 
I don't care what the media says. I don't care what the talking heads say. I don't care what society says. Understand that when the scripture says that we were knit together in our mother's womb, that means that God has purpose and intent. And he has created us. And in that moment, we are a living being. And to take that life is murder. And folks, we've got to stand on it again. We've got to believe again and fight for the most innocent that are among us. Children. And defend their right to life. Because it's God's intention and it's God's purpose and it's God's plan. When he says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, folks, the, the body, it doesn't allow for accidents. When you look at, I mean, even as far back as Augustine, let me tell you what he observed. He said, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of rivers, and the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass right by themselves without wondering. Do you know that literally within your body exists one of the greatest examples of creation? As much as the stars, as much as the oceans, as much as the mountains, there's almost nothing more complex in this world than you. The crown of his creation. Consider the miracle of the human body. Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. Ten billion nerve cells record whatever you see and you hear. That information comes to your brain through the miracle of the eye, which has 100 million receptor cells, these rods and cones that are in each of your eyes. Your retina has four layers of nerves Altogether, the system makes the equivalent of, listen to this, 10 billion calculations a second before the image even gets to the optic nerve. Once it reaches the brain, the cerebral cortex has more than a dozen separate vision centers to process it. These tear ducts in your eyes that seem so common, they supply bacteria-fighting fluid to protect your eyes from infection. The tears that fight irritants differ from the tears that you cry when you're sad. You have more than 200 bones in your body, each shaped and purposed for its function, connected intricately to one another through lubricated joints that cannot be perfectly duplicated by modern science. They still can't make a leg like God made a leg. More than 500 muscles connect to the bones. Some obey willful commands. Others perform their duty in response to unconscious commands from the brain. They all work together to keep us alive. The heart muscle itself beats 103,000 times a day, pumping your blood cells a distance of 168 million miles a day. Folks, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we ought to wonder, not just at the mountains, but you ought to look in the mirror. And you ought to say, thank you, God, for making me exactly who and what I am.
And God, fulfill your purpose in me because that's what he desires. We have a life that has been purposed and planned. Fourth, God will change me. He has plans for me. Sin has come in and ruined our nature. Sin has come in and caused us to fall into the devil's snare. And we've become in so many ways evil. Yet Christ, when he saves us, you know what he does for us? You know the change that comes about? Because he goes on in verse 19 and he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those that hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Let me tell you what is happening here. Is that when God does a work in a believer's life, he begins to see the world the way God sees the world. Folks, these verses are not taking away from you the call and the command to love your enemy. But what he is calling you to do is recognize evil for what it is. To admit and confess with God that sin does what sin has always done. It steals, it kills, and it destroys. It takes away glory from God. The very reason we were created is to bring glory to him. And he says of all of us that when we truly begin to know what a relationship with God is all about, we realize that our nature has been changed. The very depth of your being, you say, how do I change? How, if God wants me to come to him and follow him, how is it that I'm going to change? Well, let me go ahead and give you some good news. It's what, not what you do for God. It's what has already been done for you. That's all the difference in the world. If you're thinking that you're following God in the sense that you are accomplishing all that it takes to be saved and sanctified and transformed and changed, then you have missed the point of the gospel. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and it began when he took away our old nature and gave us a new nature, a new heart that is now pliable to God and his spirit and his drawing and his leading. Our desires have been changed the things that we used to want to do, we don't want to do anymore. Our affections have changed. The things that we love now are the things that God loves. And the things that we hate, that's what he's getting at, are the things that God hates. Have you come to the place, believer, where you hate evil the way God hates evil? That when you see evil in your life, which, folks, it's going to be there. You're going to struggle in sin. Do you, I mean, that's the difference between someone who's saved and not saved, is they recognize it and they begin to turn to God so that he can root out and weed out that evil that is within them. It's not that we ever reach a point of sinless perfection on this side of heaven. But it's the heart within us that says, I don't want to live this way anymore. And the desire within us is, to change and to be holy. And we start to love the things that God loves. And actually, this is what, he's seen, what you're seeing here in this discussion about all this bloodshed and depart from me and all these things is actually not only does our nature change and our desires change and our affections change, but our allegiances change. We have a new king. And just like Pastor Wayne spoke last week, Many times to follow Jesus, it means that other relationships have to change. 
And we can't yoke ourselves to unbelievers and walk down the paths that they're walking because God is going this way and they're going this way. And the psalmist recognizes, I have to make a choice. Fifth, God will lead me. I love what it says here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I implore you today, let God search you. You see, that's the point of this whole thing is remember I told you this infinite God who is also intimate in his relationship with us. You know where real change begins is when you look at him. And you see and understand him in all of his glory. And you know what it immediately makes you do? Look at yourself. And have you gotten to the place in your life where every day you wake up and you know what you pray? God, search me. Take your light and shine it into every corner of my life. The things that I've hidden and I've stuffed away in a closet, God, here is the key to the closet. Go in and clean whatever you want to clean. This is the room that, God, I, I wasn't allowing you in, but, Lord, I want you to search it. God, I want you to try me. I mean, you're almost giving permission for God at that point to test you. Are you willing to do that? God, I don't want a faith that's untested. God, I want a faith that has been tested, a faith that is strong, a faith that endures. So God, I want you to search me, examine my thoughts, examine my motives. I want you to try me so that I'll know. What you know is that I have a lot of anxious thoughts and I've got to learn to turn it over. God, get me on my knees. Try me and get me to the place of utter dependence on you so that this anxiety will go away. Until you pray, guess what? You will continually be anxious. You'll never know the peace that passes all understanding until God tries you and gets you to a place where you're on your knees dependent. And see if there's any wicked way in me. That means the excuses go away and you let God speak truth about your life. Listen to what it says. God will lead us and lead me in the everlasting way. Have you died so that Christ can live and he can lead? As Kevin comes this morning, what are the implications of these truths? They really are life-altering truths. And I hope that this week you'll go home and unpack these four things. Because I'm not going to sit here and try to unpack them for you. I want you to go home and read and reread and reread this text. And I want you to think about these implications. Is that when we consider that God knows me, yet he loves me, and he's always with me, and he made me, and he has perfect plans for me. And that he wants to change me and lead me. You know what the implication is? This psalm gives you everything that you need to fuel worship. You see, at the end of every one of these sections, you hear what he says? It's too wonderful for me. Trying to think about it, I can't attain it. He goes on 
And, and at the end of every one of these sections, he just continues to worship. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I try to count them, they would outnumber the sea. When I awake, I'm still with you. It means that it has so consumed him that when he goes to bed, you know what he's thinking about? The greatness and goodness of God. And when he wakes up, you know what the first thing is that comes to his mind? The goodness and greatness of God. Are you at that place? Because the knowledge of God, that's what it does. It fuels our worship. Secondly, it should drive us to his word. Because this God is intimate and wants to know us, we know him through his word. How serious are you about being a student of the Bible? Is it just about knowledge or is it about a personal relationship? A knowledge of God that ends in intimacy. You walk with him, you talk with him. If you're not driven to the word, then go back and recognize that how would you not want this God in your life? leading you how could you not want him to be king it should eliminate our worry that's the implication that this god who is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent everything that i need he's given for life and for godliness everything i need for eternal life he has given if god is for me who can be against me though there's trouble in the world don't worry. Don't have fear. Why? God has overcome the world. The greatest enemy, death, has been defeated. Sin has been conquered. And he looks at us and says, why do you spend so much time worrying? He's saying, it's screaming that your eyes aren't on me. And lastly, it should transform our walk. I'll tell you what, if you got up every day realizing there's nowhere you could go from his presence, that everything he sees, everything he knows, that'll transform your walk. Most of us, it doesn't transform because we don't think like that every day. God is who we visit on Sundays. We welcome God in at the moments of life when everything is desperate, not moment by moment, not day by day. When that starts to happen, it changes everything. And your walk starts to change. Because you're walking with him. And there's a whole lot you probably wouldn't do if you were cognizant of the fact that, you know what? Jesus is right here. And so when I walk into my office, guess what? I didn't leave Jesus at church on Sunday. Or I didn't leave him on my nightstand. He's right here. What would he have me do? His gaze is upon me. He knows my thoughts and my words. Does it change the way that we live? John Calvin wisely wrote, and I close with this, that it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself until he has first looked upon God's face. And then he descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. That's what I'm asking for today. Look full in his wonderful face. See today this God whom we serve. And let the knowledge of him transform the rest of your life. Father, we thank you. That, Lord, today is the day of salvation. And, Lord, there may be someone here today just as last week that, that someone came 
who needed to know Christ. Mrs. Pierce, Lord, she, she knew that she was longing for life and salvation. And Lord, you answered her prayer. And Father, we pray that today there's someone else that's here that needs that same salvation, Lord, that needs today new life in Jesus Christ. And Lord, that today they would place their faith in this God who loves them, who knows them and knows everything about them. No matter what it is, Lord, you still declare that they're not so far gone that they cannot be redeemed. And that you have made a way of salvation. So Lord, if someone is here today that needs Christ, may they pray to receive Christ today. May they repent of their sins and, and confess that they're sinners in need of a Savior. Lord, today may they recognize that the way to salvation is through Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. He died for their sins. And Lord, may they surrender to you today. Lord, let them pray that prayer of surrender. Of turning away from the life they're living to the life that God has for them. And Lord, today may this church stare in wonder. May they look full in your wonderful face. And may they see themselves the way you see them. And may they worship. So Lord, this moment is a chance for us to worship. And as our eyes are closed, God, let us worship you in prayer. And thank you for these truths that we've heard today. And Lord, if there's someone that has prayed to receive Christ today, Lord, may they come and confess that Jesus is Lord. If there's someone that needs to join this church today, may they come, Lord. This is the moment while we pray and while we seek your face in Jesus' name. Amen.